All right, I, I, think, I think we'll finish Deuteronomy today. Um, if we don't cover every single line, I think we can finish it today and start Isaiah next week. But we'll, we'll see, because everything that needs to be said in Deuteronomy has basically been said. We're sort, of, we're sort of wrapping up right now. So I'll pray, and then we'll take a look at this. The main thing I want to look at today is Deuteronomy 32, and I'll explain why in a second. We can touch on the other three chapters, but Deuteronomy 32 is pretty much where I want to, where I want to hang out. So we'll pray, and then we'll talk about this and hopefully wrap Deuteronomy up after oh, 28, 28 Sundays, something like that. It's been a little while. So, all right, well, let's pray. Dear Lord, we come to you today in Jesus' name. Lord, help us to want to know your word. Help us to learn from the principles from your heart that's expressed in your law to your people here in the book of Deuteronomy. And by your Holy Spirit, please apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Deuteronomy 31. Is Moses telling the Israelites, I think they know this, but he's just reminding them, that, that he's not going to be going with them into the promised land. Does everyone remember why? I know this is a Sunday school question. Yeah, Moses is leading the Israelites, and he didn't model what a godly leader is supposed to be. He got very angry, and in his anger, he performed a miracle that God wanted him to perform to provide water to the Israelites in the desert. He got very angry and smashed his staff against the rock uh, as he did it. So it's not that you know the lesson from Moses is not don't smash your staff against a rock. It's that if you're, if you're a leader of God's people, God expects Moses to act that way, to act um, with, with dignity, with reverence, with holiness, and to not lose control of himself. Uh, Moses was a really great guy, uh, but he wasn't perfect. Jesus is, the, Jesus is the new Moses, the better Moses, the one who's leading us from this wilderness into the promised land. And Jesus doesn't lose control of himself and get frustrated so frustrated that he loses his self-control and denigrates who he's representing. I'm sure Jesus in his human nature would like to do that with many of us, but he doesn't. Um, he stays in control of himself and represents his heavenly father as our mediator perfectly and really well. What about when Jesus got mad and threw the money changers tables and everything like that? Yeah, I don't think that that was a, I don't think that's him losing control. I think he did it. Uh, I, I think he knew what he was doing. I don't think he just lost it. Moses lost it. Sure, sure. I mean, I, I think that, I think he knew what he was doing and he did it on purpose. I don't think he lost control and just became enraged and just was throwing things everywhere. Um, so I think, I think that's the, that's the difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Moses sort of when Moses did that um, and he committed that that sin, he the way he phrased it, like Tim said, is almost as though that I'm the one who's going to bring you forth water, and why should I? Sort of attitude. I mean, it's a human response when you're faced with such ridiculousness uh but he didn't honor god he didn't re he wasn't representing god like he should um and it doesn't mean that god hates him and god wipes him out and you know takes an eraser wipes his name out of the book of life but god simply says uh you're not going to go into the he's an old very old man anyway but he says you're not going to go into the promised land you'll be able to see it and know that you've led everyone right there and they're all going to go in after you and i'll, I'll give you a successor who's going to be fine and, and it's going to 
pick up from where you left off, but you're not going to go in there. And Deuteronomy 31 is Moses reminding them. He says, I'm 120 years old today. I can't move around well anymore, in verse 1. And he says, um, Joshua is going to be the one to take you in. In Deuteronomy 31, verse 7, Moses called Joshua, and with all Israel watching, so this is, if there's going to be any succession fight uh, and squabbling, Moses wants to make sure it has no basis. So in front of every, it's not like some secret thing like, I saw Moses five minutes before he died, and he told me I'm supposed to be the one. Another guy would say, that's not true. Last year, he told me that I was, so none of that stupidity. It's this public ceremony where everyone can see in Deuteronomy 31, 7, uh, Moses called Joshua and said, with all Israel watching, and said to him, be strong and fearless, because you are the one who will lead this people to the land the Lord swore to your ancestors to give to them. You are the one who will divide up the land for them. But the Lord is the one who's marching before you. He's the one who will be with you. He won't let you down. He won't abandon you. So don't be afraid or scared. There might be many, you might go to a really, really good church. Pastors come and go. Um, this, I'm, the, I'm the third pastor of this church. Some of you know the first pastor. Some of you never seen the guy before in your life and you don't care. Some of you knew the second pastor and never knew the first pastor. Some of you only know me. And then one day people be, one day I won't be here and people will be talking about Pastor Tyler and there'll be people who say, I don't know anything about that guy. I never saw him, nor do I care. So people come and go. I mean, Josh Moses is coming. He's about to go. Joshua is here, but he's going to go one day. So they're going to they're going into the land. And even though Joshua is guiding them, God's the one who's really guiding them. through whoever happens to be in charge, man, woman, whoever. Deborah was a righteous judge who God used to lead his people in a very difficult time. Man, woman, it doesn't matter. We're all just instruments that God uses. And it's God who leads us. It's God who leads his church. It's God who leads us. It's never a person. And I know it's human to think, well, you know, because, uh, because this pastor isn't here anymore, I don't like the new pastor, so I'm going to leave. Don't ever, don't ever Velcro yourself to a person or to a teacher because the person's going to disappoint you and the person's going to leave one day and the person's not the person's a real person, not the one who can, not the one who's not simply the one who's good at explaining things from the Bible in front of a church. It's God who you need to follow. And everyone else are just people God might be using, but it's God who leads his people. We all need to remember that. We all know it, like quote, no, but do we really know it? So Moses explains, he, give, he gives some more, um, more direction, and he says he wants them to read Deuteronomy a lot. He wants, he wants them to pass the faith down, because people can forget. If you don't pass on that you need to love God, look what he did for us. Jesus came, he died on the cross for our sins, to liberate us from slavery. Jesus came to do that. If you don't tell your kids that, and they just think, we go to church because that's what we do, the Everything gets lost and it becomes a ritual instead of something from your heart. And so here in Deuteronomy 31, what does he tell them in verse 12? He tells them, make sure you tell everyone about this. Read this law to them. Tell them about it so they know and so they can pass it on. Verse 12, gather everyone, men, women, children, and 
the immigrants or the sojourners or the strangers, whatever your translation has, the immigrants who live in your cities in order that they hear it, learn it, and revere the Lord your God, carefully doing all the words of this instruction. And so that their children, who don't yet know the instruction, may hear it and learn to revere the Lord your God for as long as you live on the ground you're crossing the Jordan River to possess. Pass the faith on. And that just doesn't mean in Sunday once a week. Um, it also means in your homes to the extent that you can. If you don't have any kids, you can do devotions yourselves. If you have kids, you need to teach them the faith so you can pass the faith on. It's, it's the home where the most relig where religious affections and heart is formed. Church is a good backstop, but it's not where, it's not where you spend your time. We get together to recharge our batteries and hear from the Lord as a group, but then the other six and a half days, we're off doing something on our own, and our unit is our family, or the people, whatever that family looks like. We need to make sure we're passing on the faith to the kids and to one another in our homes, so they know what the faith is, so they can know it and pass it on as well. Otherwise, it's just ritual that doesn't mean anything. The McKinney are here. Hello. Hello. See, Alan, that beanie thing is just what Samuel needs to complete his worship leader ensemble. He's got the chain. Where's the chain, Sammy? Okay, so he's got the chain. Yeah. Yeah, so Sammy has the chain. He has this jacket thing, this like hip looking jacket, and he just needs the, but he has a haircut, so it's probably okay, but the beanie thing is a nice accessory you can try. You need to give him some tips on that. But, okay, so that's, that's what he says. Um, pass the faith on. And as soon as they got into the land and the, 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 the portions were allotted and the different tribes settled in the land that they were given, did they pass that faith on to their children or not? No, they didn't. And that's so astonishing because Moses is telling them explicitly, he told them at the beginning in Deuteronomy chapter five and six, and he tells them here at the end, um, you know, pass the faith on to your kids, tell them how God rescued us, tell them. But then you get to the book of Judges, the end of Judges one, and the beginning of Judges two, and it says a whole new generation rose up and they didn't even know who the Lord was. It could be that none of the, that generally the parents just didn't pass on the faith, or it could be that generally no one cared, or it's probably both, uh, that they didn't pass it on. So this is a constant thing. And it happens so, in the Bible, it happens so quick. They go in, they conquer the land, the next generation doesn't know the Lord. And you're reading, you're like, what idiots, you know? But that's like, that's like 30 years that just went by in a snap. And so you think about your life and your kids, or you went 30 years ago when you were a kid to now, that's a long, that's a lot of water under the bridge. That's a lot of time. So we're talking about a generation. It seemed like an instant when we just read it on the screen or on a, in our Bible. That's a generation that's gone by and a lot can happen in a generation. A generation ago, uh, Reagan was in office. You're like, well, that was a long time ago. Yeah, so is this. It's a constant, we need to keep passing the faith on to one another, which is one reason why we come to church once a week to worship God as groups. We're not just all off on our own, hiding in our own homes or watching something on a screen. We're getting together to worship God, reminding ourselves together about who God is and reminding ourselves of the story. 
so we can be refreshed and our kids can be refreshed too. Then at the, the end of, so the, the rest of Deuteronomy 31, I'm, I'm going to skim through it because I really want to focus on Deuteronomy 32. He tells them something really interesting. He tells Joshua, listen, even though he spent the whole book telling them how to live a faithful life with these specific rules and everything, he tells them in the end of Deuteronomy 31, listen, y'all are going to go in there and it's all going to fall to pieces. Everything's going to fall apart, like everything, even though I've just told you the blessings and the cursings and I've set before you life and death. It's all going to go crazy. If you look at Deuteronomy 31, 16, he's talking to Joshua and he says, soon, although the Lord then said to Moses, this is God speaking, Deuteronomy 31, 16, the Lord then said to Moses, soon you will rest with your ancestors and the people will rise up and act unfaithfully, going after strange gods of the land they are entering. And they'll abandon me, breaking my covenant that I made with them. And he tells them that, um, he's going to get angry. He's going to become upset. But he wants to remind them. He wants to give them something so when they do find themselves in an awful situation, they can say, wait a minute. God even said that this would happen. And he wants, he wants to give them Deuteronomy 32, which is a poem. In verse 19, we read, so in light of all that, you must write down this poem and teach it to the Israelites. Put it in their mouths so that the poem becomes a witness for me against them. So God, God operates at a level like above our understanding. So he tells us through Moses, the whole book of Deuteronomy, love God with all your heart. When you get in the land, make sure you don't do this, do this instead, love me, do what I say, all this stuff. But he knows that they're not going to do it. And so he tells Moses they're not going to do it. And he says, then I'm going to give you this poem. I want you to teach it. I want it to be written down. I want it taught to everybody so that when they do find themselves in awful situations and I am punishing, they can be like, wait a minute, God said this would happen. And then maybe they'll feel ashamed and then maybe they'll repent. And that's what Deuteronomy 32 is. This is the poem where God says, I told you, I told you, you would do this. I told you, you would do it. And that's what I want to want to skip to, to Deuteronomy 32. Does anyone want to talk about anything else from, from 31 that you a burning desire to chat about or that you thought was interesting or strange? Didn't the problem come um, they got their own plots of land and then they forgot God and then they started marrying girls uh, that were from different countries and were from that, that same country that didn't get all the way killed and then they got them into idol worship? Yes. And then, yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's what Judges 1 and 2 said. You summarized it perfectly. Um, and like I said before, this, this happens over like a generation. So it's, it's a series of incremental decisions that we make. So let's take it to our day. How does unfaithfulness to God happen? It doesn't happen because you wake up one day, like in a cartoon, and you're like, oh, forget about all that. It's a series of steps away from God. Small steps. But, but a lot of small steps can add up. We have, you know, Aries who wiggles around on the floor all the time, and she makes her way from her little pad or blanket onto the hardwood floor, and I don't know where she's going, but she's going away, wiggling her way around very slowly, but if you come back and if you look up five minutes later, she's moved, and we move away, we can move away from God. It doesn't always happen just in this, this blink of an eye, and we're 10 miles down the road. We just move really slowly, step by step, and then five years goes by. And you've 
you're five blocks over and they're just going to keep the year compound and it just gets more and more and more. That's how I think the defection happened in Israel because that's how that's how it happens today uh, with people who are raised in Christian homes and maybe the parents did a great job. Maybe they didn't, but the kids heard the news, heard the message. No one's perfect, but the kids heard the message and saw it modeled. And then when they become adults, they move away, maybe not instantly, but slowly over a period of years, and they decide to move away from it. And I think that's that's what happens today, and I think that's what happened then, is people are people. All right, you ready to hear the I told you so poem? Or does anyone else have anything they want to talk about from Deuteronomy 31? Okay, the I told you so poem. So I'm not going to cover every verse in the poem. I'll read it. And if you want to talk about anything, just interrupt and say something. I'll pause at a few points to make a few comments. But I'm pretty much going to let it speak for itself because it kind of does. And all we'll do is ruin the effect if I talk too much about it. So this is what it says. Uh, we're starting in Deuteronomy 31, verse 30. And it just continues on to the next chapter. Then Moses recited in their entirety the words of this poem in the hearing of the entire assembly of Israel. Heaven, pay attention and I will speak. Earth, listen to the words of my mouth. My teaching will fall like raindrops. My speech will settle like dew, like gentle rains on grass, like spring showers on all that is green. Because I proclaim the Lord's name, give praise to our God. The rock, his acts are perfection. No doubt about it, all his ways are right. He's the faithful God, never deceiving, altogether righteous and true is he. But children who weren't his own sinned against him with their defects, their twisted and perverse generation. Is this how you think the Lord, you stupid, senseless people? Isn't he your father, your creator? Didn't he make you and establish you? So he starts off by saying, this is who God is. And in advance, he's criticizing them. What's wrong, like, what's wrong with you guys? What's wrong with you? What does verse five mean? Your translation might have it a little bit different because it's hard to get across. But what does verse five mean? Uh -huh. Does yours say something about the children who weren't his own or something like that? What does yours say? So he says, that's why he says, you guys aren't my children. In advance, he's telling them this. Like, you guys aren't my children. If you were, then you'd be showing some godlike fruit, but you're not because this is what you're doing. So that's what he says. Is this how you thank the Lord? He's, he's, the at, like, I wish we had his voice, you know, to hear it. But because you can catch so much from what's the way someone says something. But I picture God's attitude as not screaming anger, but just like, what's wrong with you? Like, what is wrong 
with you. Is this how you thank the Lord? Isn't he your father, your creator? Didn't he make you and establish you? And he's specifically talking to people who he's led through the wilderness. Their parents saw all the miracles in, uh, in, in Egypt. They saw the Red Sea parted and they ignored God. So they all died off in the wilderness. No, these are, this is the new generation who was born um, in the wilderness. And they heard about the stories from their parents. They heard all this happened. We tr didn't trust God. God led them around for 40 years, even the new generation, for 40 years, like in a pillar of fire at night. So like there's a pillar of fire surrounding your camp every night. That's sort of a good sign that God's with you, right? How do I know God exists? Oh, behold, the pillar of fire reaching to heaven. I think that's you know, a sign that God is with us. And still, this next generation, God says, even as they're standing on Jordan's stormy banks, ready to take the promised land and filled with joy, God still says, it's not going to work. Y'all are going to make the same mistakes your parents did, and you're going to prove you're not really my children. You might be Israelites, you might have pledged to be, to, you might have pledged in the covenant. You know, Moses in Deuteronomy 28, 29, um, in the late 20s, you know, he did the thing where he had them pledge. I agree, I agree. It doesn't matter if they agreed. A bunch of them, they're just agreeing verbally. They don't believe in their heart. And this is what God's predicting in advance. Children who aren't his own. So, in verse 7, he's telling them, um, reminding them of what they're throwing away. Remember the days long past. Consider the years long gone. Ask your father. He'll tell you all about it. Ask your elders. They'll give you the details. When God most high divided up the nations, when he divided up humankind, he divided the people's boundaries based on the number of the gods, or yours might say Israelites. There's a difference of trend. There's a, a dispute about what on earth that's supposed to mean. Surely the Lord's property was his people. Jacob was his part of the inheritance. God found Israel in a wild land, in a howling desert wasteland. And he protected him, cared for him, watched over him with his very own eye. Like an eagle protecting its nest, hovering over its young, God spread out his wings and took hold of Israel and carried him on his back. The Lord alone led Israel. No foreign God assisted. God made Israel glide over the highlands. He fed him with food from the field, nursed him with honey from a boulder, with oil from a hard rock, curds from the herd, milk from the flock, along with the best of lambs, rams from Bashan, he goats too, along with the finest wheat, and for drink, wine from the juiciest grapes. But of course, it's Welch's non-alcoholic grapes. Jacob ate until he was stuffed. Jeshurun got fat and rebellious. It was you who got fat, thick, and stubborn. So what's he comparing Israel to now? Yeah, like this really fat animal that just waddles around. Can't do anything anymore. Like my sister has this cat. I forget its name. What's the cat's name? Tony. Tony, okay. My sister has this cat named Tony. This cat weighs almost 30 pounds. This cat is... I've never seen anything like it. Like this cat is huge. He's like a walking bowling ball. I don't know why he hasn't had a cat heart attack and died. He's like been on this diet and now he weighs like 27 pounds. So that's a big victory. I mean, this cat is huge. 
he like waddles around everywhere. Like he, he can't clean himself because he's too fat. You know, I mean, it's like this cat is next level obese. And that's what God is saying Israel has become like. Like I did all this for you. And what's going to happen is you all are going to get like Tony, the fat cat. Yeah, Tony. Um, this fat, thick, waddling oaf of a cat. He's a nice cat, though, but still. Um, and that's what they're going to be like. He says, Jeshurun gave up on the God who made him, thought the rock of his salvation was worthless, which is what Kim just mentioned before about choosing, having all these things from God and choosing to just to walk away and not care about it. Verse 17, they sacrificed to demons, not to God, to deities of which they had no knowledge, new gods only recently on the scene, ones about which your ancestors had never heard. You deserted the rock that sired you. You forgot the God who gave birth to you. The, the Lord saw this and rejected out of his aggression, out of his aggravation, his sons and his daughters. So now God's talking about the cursings. What's going to happen when, what's going to happen to, what does God do to his people now, then and now, when we say we belong to God and we say we know the truth, but we just do the opposite. What's God do to us? He rebukes us. He punishes us, right? Like a father, like a parent should discipline. And what do parents do? They start with a little bit of discipline. And if that doesn't work, they go to the next level. That doesn't work. They go to the next level. That doesn't work. They go to the next level. And so things just keep getting worse. First, you don't get to, first you have to, you have to go to bed at eight o'clock and you can't stay up anymore. That doesn't work. Okay. Now we're going to restrict your screen time. That doesn't work. Okay. Well, now you're not doing these extracurricular activities anymore. And it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse until finally they decide to listen or not listen, whatever the case is. And so now he's talking about how he's going to, in advance, he's warning him, I'm going to discipline you until you decide to listen. The Lord saw this and rejected out of aggravation his sons and daughters. He said, I'll hide my face from them. I'll see what becomes of them because they're a confused generation. They are children lacking loyalty. They provoked me with no gods, aggravated me with their pieces of junk or worthless idols, yours might say. So I'm going to provoke them with no people, aggravate them with a nation of fools. A fire burns in me. It'll blaze to the depths of the grave. It'll destroy the land and its crops, blacken the base of the mountains. I'll throw on them disaster after disaster. I'll destroy them with my arrows, devastating hunger, consuming plague, bitter sickness. He goes on in this, on in this vein. Verse 26. I thought about it. I could have struck them down and erased them from human memory, but their enemy's rage concerned me. Their opponents might misunderstand. What? Why does God not totally wipe out his people, even though he knows they're going to disappoint him and, and break his heart in a real way? Well, from that word, it sounds like he's saying that if he wiped out the Israelites, then their enemies they were fighting would believe that they are gods or Yeah, he says, if I do just wipe these people out and start over, because he did that before, right? With Noah and his family, he's like, all y'all are beyond saving. Even Noah is beyond saving, but I mean, decides to decides to save him anyway and start over. So God has started over before, but God's not going to start over again. He's going to make this work. 
And he says, if I do start over, then all the enemies will think that they're the ones who conquered you. And he said, I don't want that. He goes on and talks about, um, he goes on and talks about the enemy nations think that they're so strong, but they're really not. And in verse 36, we have hope. It's not all darkness, even no, no matter how much God has to ration up the punishment, at a certain point, he's going to stop because he has compassion, because he's not going to start all over. He is going to use Abraham's descendants, physical and spiritual, to, make, to bring Jesus in and to make this new community that he's promised to make. He's not going to start over. There's no more do-overs. So in verse 36, he says, but the Lord will acquit his people, will have compassion on those who serve him. Once he sees that their strength is all gone, that both prisoners and free people are wiped out. So at their lowest point, God is going to have compassion and to, to step in. The Lord will ask, where are their gods, the rocks they trusted in, who laid up the fat of their sacrifices and who drank their sacred wine? They should stand up and help you. They should protect you now. And of course, they've gotten so low by this point that he knows they'll have to admit to themselves, well, we've been falling after nothing. Because nothing can help us. Now look here, verse 39. I myself, I'm the one. There are no other gods with me. I'm the one who deals death and gives life. I'm the one who wounded, but now I'll heal. There's no escaping my hand, but now I'm lifting my hand to heaven. I swear by my own eternity, when I sharpen my blazing sword and my hand grabs hold of justice, I'll pay my enemies back. I'll punish in kind everyone who hates me. I'll make my arrows drink much blood while my sword devours flesh, the blood of the dead and captured flowing from the heads of enemy generals. That's a nice image. So the point that we need to get here is what, what God is saying is to the, to the Israelites, to the old covenant people, no matter how far gone they are, how much, how much he has to punish them, at some point he's going to stop and he's going to show mercy and show grace just because he wants to, even though, even though they, don't, they don't deserve it. He's going to ask them, where are all the things you've been trusting and why don't they help you? And of course they can. And so he tells them in advance, listen, I'm the one who can fix you. I'm the one you're actually looking for, whether you know it or not. I'm the one who gives life or gives death. I'm the one who can heal you. You need to come to me. You need to come to me. And in Deuteronomy chapter 30, when God finished that long section about all the cursings, he said, when you as a group, when all of y'all one day wake up and realize that you can repent and come to me. I'll make it all better. And when is this, when is this repentance going to happen? Did it ever happen before Jesus came? Yeah, yeah it didn't happen in a meaningful way. I mean, yes, yeah, people went back to the land and they rebuilt the temple and things, but you read the book of Malachi and things have gone worse again. You know, Malachi is the last book in the in the Christian scriptures. The way the the Jewish the way the the Jewish scriptures are organized, Malachi is not the last book. But anyway, in the Christian scriptures, Malachi is the last one in the first covenant, and it paints a picture of life in the land. They're all back there, 
and the temple has been rebuilt and the sacrifices are going and everything's, you know, on the surface seems great. And God says, you all are a bunch of fakes, a bunch of fakes. It's all fake. It's like nothing's been learned. It's like we've just gone full circle and we've just rewinded, you know, a uh, hundred years, 200, a hundred years. And we're just back to right where we were before. What is the point? Someone's going to have to come. A new Moses, a better Moses is going to have to come to lead the people to the promised land. Because nothing else is going to happen. Nothing else is going to work. And that's, that's what Moses is sort of alluding to in Deuteronomy 30 when he says, one day y'all are going to wake up and repent and I'll have mercy. And I'll give you a new heart. I'll circumcise your heart so you're not just outwardly belonging to me. But your heart will belong to me too. All of you will belong to me who want to, who want to repent. And that's the same sort of thing he's saying toward the end of 32 when he says, I'm the one, I'm the one, I'm the one. Not what you're going after, but me. And it ends in verse 43. Heavens, rejoice with God. All of you gods bow down to the Lord, meaning all of the, I think it means all of the fake gods who everyone's following around or who look attractive. You know, all, of, all of you guys just bow down to the one true God because he will avenge his children's blood. He will pay back his enemies. He will punish in kind to those who hate him. He will cleanse his people's land. And then it's over. The I told you so poem is over. He warns them, do what this thing says. You need to know this. You need to do it. God tells Moses at the end of 32, hike on up to the hill. Look over the Jordan River so you can see the land that everyone's going to go into. You're not going to go, but you can watch it. You can see it. And then you're going to die once you get up there because you've done your part. And it's time for me to bring you home now. And we can cover 33 and 34 quickly, but does anyone want to talk about 32? Is there anything strange there or interesting? Or I'm trying to make this so it's not just some boring description of something that happened a long time ago. God's heart is the same. His dealings with his people are the same. The shape of what that looks like is different. So I'm hoping we can see things that will help us understand God's heart and how he deals with us today as best we can. Does anyone want to talk about anything from 32? Everyone's so quiet today. Everyone needs coffee. It's basically just straightening up his, the people every time they fall away. And it seems like every time he, he comes to a, mm -hmm. comes to an agreement with them, they they by nature, because of our sin nature, fall away from it. Yeah, this is him off. And then he's going to destroy everybody and has mercy on them still after they yes. fall away. And the thing to remember is this God is always ready. He's always ready to forgive you if you turn back to him. He's always ready. The, the, the sacrificial system is always there. You can always repent and bring a sacrifice to tell God you're sorry. Always. You can always do that, but they won't. Some people do, but a lot of people just don't. They, they just choose not to, and that's why the punishments keep continuing. Like your kids, 
if you just do what you're supposed to, then everyone can be happy. But you don't want to do what you're supposed to. So the tears are going to come. It's not my, God's like, it's not, it's not me, it's you. Um, and, and that, that is God's heart. So when we look at this, we can be tempted to think, well, God's really mean. No, he's not. Anytime they can say they're sorry. Anytime we can say we're sorry. That doesn't mean that God is going to remove everything bad in our life if we say we're sorry, you know, like a genie. We have to deal with the consequences of our mistakes, but God will forgive us. And he won't be, he won't be disappointed in us anymore. Anytime we can turn to God and say, I'm sorry, help me be better. And God will forgive us and we'll be in right relationship with him again. And we might have to deal with the fallout from our stupid decisions, but we're in right relationship with God again. You do when you're a teenager and you do something stupid and you and you you there's consequences for it. You tell your parents you're sorry, they forgive you. So now the hostility is gone and the weird tension in the house is gone. You still have the thing you have to pick up the pieces for, but now the tension in the house is gone because you've been forgiven. There's been reconciliation. It's the same thing with God on a cosmic scale. So God's not mean. He's simply like a good father. He's simply saying discipline. So you stay in the right path because he loves you. Just uh, thinking about Wednesday night and how we've been talking about God's word. Mm -hmm. And in 46 and 47, take to, take to your heart all the words with which I'm warning you today. And 47 says, for it's not an idle word for you. Indeed, it's your life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what do you what do you guys think about that in verse 47? You know, that you, you, your life depends on you doing what my word says. Still the same today. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really, really interesting. Um, if we want to know, if we want to know what God wants us to do, if we want to know what it means to live in right relationship with God, we have to look at his word, which tells us all about it. That's how we're going to find out. And that's what Moses pointed to. I've given you a law. I've given you an instruction. Read it to your kids. Tell it to your kids. Make it known. Listen to it. It's your very life. It's by this means, in uh, verse 47, it's by this means alone that you will prolong your life on the fertile land you are crossing the Jordan River to possess. In chapter 33, he gives, Moses gives his own blessing to the 12 tribes. I'm not going to go over them specifically. I could if someone wanted to, but he takes each tribe and he um, gives a specific blessing to each one of them. And he finishes in verse 26. There's, there's a few times in the Old Testament where Israel is referred to by this name, Jeshurun, which is like some, it, it's, it's like a, um, it's like a it's like a a, a nickname a, a a a lovey sort of nickname um, with endearment for God's people. I don't know why it's Jeshurun. You'll have to ask somebody else. But I just know that that's sort of a loving nickname that God uses for His people a few times in the Old Testament. And in verse uh, Deuteronomy thirty-three, verse twenty-six, after the blessings on each of the twelve tribes, it says this: Jeshurun, no one compares to God. He's trying to encourage them one more time. 
He rides through heaven to help you. He rides majestically through the clouds to help you, to help us, to help all of us. This is still true today. God is there to help us. He doesn't leave us. He doesn't abandon us. He's there to help us. The most ancient God is a place of safety. Seek safety in God and not in anything else. The eternal arms are a support, leaning on the everlasting arms. He drove out the enemy before you. He commanded, destroy them. So Israel now lives in safety. Jacob's residence is secure in a land full of grain and wine where the heavens drip dew. Happy are you, Israel, who's like you. You're a people saved by, by the Lord. He's the shield that helps you, your majestic sword. Your enemies will come crawling on their knees to you, but you will stomp on their backs. And it ends with Moses hiking up the mountain to watch Verse uh, chapter 34, verse 4, the Lord said to Moses, this is the land that I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when I promised, I will give it to your descendants. I've shown it to you with your own eyes. However, you will not cross over into it. Then Moses, the Lord's servant, died right there in the land of Moab, according to the Lord's command. The Lord buried him in a valley in Moabite country across from Beth Peor. Even now, no one knows where Moses' grave is. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyesight wasn't impaired and his vigor hadn't diminished a bit. Back down to the Moabite plains, the Israelites mourned Moses' death for 30 days. At that point, the time for weeping and from mourning was over. Joshua, Nun's son, was filled with wisdom because Moses had placed his hands on him. So the Israelites listened to Joshua and they did exactly what the Lord commanded Moses. No prophet like Moses has yet emerged in, in Israel. Moses knew the Lord face to face, but there has been a prophet since this was written who is better than Moses, who knows God face to face, deeper than Moses ever did, and who is leading his people, leading God's people, all of God's people in a new and better covenant to a better promised land. Not simply a physical area, which is a strip of land along the eastern Mediterranean, but leading his people to the new and better world that's waiting for us that Jesus will create. Moses knew the Lord face to face. That's not even to mention all those signs and wonders that the Lord sent Moses to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh, to all his servants, and his entire land, as well as all the extraordinary power that Moses displayed before Israel's own. And that is the book of Deuteronomy.